Hey, thanks for joining me. I'm Carly with Race to Walk, and it is um, just time for some thoughts on a Sunday. So I hope you're having um, a good Sunday and have had a great weekend. The uh, thing I want to talk about today is um, when we're reaping the whirlwind. And this actually comes from a saying, those that sow the wind shall reap the whirlwind. And some people know it from um, Churchill. He actually is famous for this quote that he um, used during a speech in 1940 after Coventry had been bombed by um, the Nazis in the Blitzkrieg. And so this was um, part of the way that he motivated the, um, the British to you know, stand up against the Nazis. And I have an article um, that I, I think I linked to in the description. If not, I have, I've started a page with um, that has kind of a collection of all these videos I'm doing on my website at Race to Walk. But um, he also used a lot of uh, quotes from the Bible just to um, motivate uh, Christians in general during World War II. And that can be a good thing, but I think that um, whenever someone uses quotes like that, we have to like look at the context. So this verse is actually, that quote is um, actually from the Bible in the Hosea chapter 8. I'm just going to read the first part of it so we have a context of it. And uh, this is chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Put the trumpet to your lips, an eagle is over the house of the Lord. Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my laws. Um, Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you, but Israel has rejected what is good, an enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf and metal worker has made it. It is not of God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. And then here is the verse. Um, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. And so the context of this is, um, the. Uh, keep in mind, the book of Hosea it was written by the prophet who uh, God told to marry a prostitute, and this was a visual depiction of God to his people, the nation of Israel, about um, their idolatry and that they had forsaken him. This is how he saw them. He saw them as prostitutes, and um, this was a prophetic example to them that the covenant with them would be broken. Uh, there's this whole, you know, it, Hosea is a very interesting prophet. But how this relates to us today, I think that, you know, God, God himself doesn't change. And the uh, truth and righteousness and justice don't say change. You know, God is still who he is. He is the same God that he was then as he is today. And um, Israel was putting 
trust in themselves and in other nations to, and in what their expression of their religion was, right? And so they put trust in their own righteousness and who they were rather than being in obedience to God. And I think that in the U.S. we do that a lot today. We, um, we don't reflect on, we put our grounding in ourselves in ourselves as a church rather than putting ourselves our grounding in God. Like, are we measuring up to, you know, his righteousness, right? Versus what we think is right. And we see a lot of, you know, these, um, golden calves in, um, our politics today that a lot of times, I think I've talked about this before. A lot of times, people are sitting in, in American churches and they mistake their political ideology for Christianity. And, um, you know, a political party isn't going to save you. Who you vote for isn't going to save you. The question is, do you put your trust in Jesus and his righteousness? And are you willing to lay down your stuff and pick up his, right? That's, that's the question. And as far as uh, the thing I've really been thinking about this week is just how much um, how much we have sown as a nation. I hope we have done good things. I hope we have had some good things. But we have have sown so much uh, so much destruction in so many places, trying to set up kings that suit us, and um, we try to manipulate in other. Um, countries' dynamics. And what has really been highlighted to me this week is just how much, uh, personally, you know, I think, um, I don't know, we need to know our history. Um, we need to know, be a little bit more aware about our activities and, and um, the impact that we've had on other nations. And I think we need to take accountability accountability for that and, and own that. Um, I remember reading part of, uh, John Bolton's book and thinking, man, I really don't know very much about foreign affairs at all. Part of this is because some of those things are hidden from us until like years later. But just for example, I think we have to take ownership of the fact that a lot of the seeds of the turmoil, um, in the Middle East and in Asia and a lot of areas of the world are really, we have been a part of that. Like we were part of the overthrow of the Shah of Iran, which has led to a lot of the extremism. Um, that's just one thing. And the full uh, story of that just came out recently. So part of it is that sometimes we don't know what's going on. And there are people that are making these decisions, playing war games that aren't being played to account and are being called to account. And uh, really irritated me this week was this, uh, this is a CIA's Twitter account. And uh, their motto is, we go where people, others can't go and do what others can't do. And that to me just was screaming hubris, like, like no accountability. We're just gonna, we're just gonna do what we think is right. And like really who knows what was going on now this is a crazy thing about this when i first started getting involved in this i talked to a lady that could help extract could extract people from afghanistan and that 
like when I was just getting started, that kind of like broke my brain for a little bit. I'm like, I can't even believe I'm having this conversation with somebody. What's really crazy is everything that she was going to do for us, I actually have contacts for, like two or three contacts for. So that's kind of seeming normal now, with that, which that's kind of crazy. What's really been uh, a struggle for me just processing recently is that I've gone from go getting contacts who can get people out of Afghanistan and get documents for Afghans <laughs> to getting some advance warnings of like terror attacks so we can warn our people to be safe and um, being told of, oh yeah, the, the leaders of these extremist groups were meeting and then a week later it comes out, there's an article in the news that, um, you know, ISIS is going to have the capacity to uh, strike the U.S. in like six months. And I had what the person had been sharing with me was kind of related to that. That is like a little mind blowing to me. And I'm still having to process. It's not just like taking care of the people that we have. It's just being able to process, like, what did I get myself involved in? But another thing, so another person told me was that the CIA has been releasing some of these terror, these, these instigators. And it's like, we never learn our lesson. Like, why don't we ever learn our lesson? Like, how much, are we any safer from when the, the CIA was, was founded in 1947 and started all these little manipulations? I don't think so. I don't think extremism has gotten better. I mean, go and look at some of these countries that they've been doing these, you know, playing these little games in, what has been the impact in those countries? And then we complain because, you know, there's, there's these, these countries under the control of dictators or ruled by gangs, and they want to get out because they want to have a, a safe place. We complain that they want to immigrate. Like, you know, it's like we don't think other people are human beings too that want their kids to be able to go to school without being shot. I mean, or you know, captured and raped. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, we need to be a little bit more aware of um, the full impact of our actions. And yes, I do think that the American, you know, that America has done good things, but we need to recognize the bad things. It's like saying, you know, uh, well, we're not as bad as these other countries or these other countries are doing these things. Two wrongs don't make a right. And it's like somebody telling their wife, okay, well, you know, I only beat you one day a week and not seven like this other guy, so you should be grateful. A wrong is always a wrong, and we need to recognize that. And quite frankly, you know, a lot of the things that the that these agencies that don't really have a lot of, don't seem to have a lot of oversight and accountability, that just kind of do whatever they want, it seems like, um, you know, that's, they're manip trying to manipulate these situations and that manipulation control, that's basically witchcraft. It's like you're not giving people the, you're treating people like free will human beings and recognizing that, yeah, they may be in a country that doesn't have, you know, uh, a, a, the same amount of resources that we do as the United States, but, you know, they're still, they are still free will human beings. They should have autonomy and agency to make their decisions. And I think at this point, with as much as we've done and as much as we've been involved in, and the 
the mess that has resulted from that, maybe we should catch a clue and try something different. I mean, if, if this is where we're at, like mass amounts of people essentially homeless and, you know, refugees all over the world because of all this extremism, because we've been, you know, pulling strings, then uh, maybe we need to recognize that those things don't work and try something different. I, I don't know. It, but down on a micro level, what's really upsetting about all that is that all these attacks and these suicide bombers and these clashes, I mean, we have people that are trying to come across, you know, even just going and trying to come back from Afghanistan, they're at risk. This, all this, this uh, turmoil has made are a delay in us giving our visas back because they're not issuing visas to Afghan in, Afghans in Pakistan because of all of this. It's like, thanks. Thanks a lot. You're just like, you know, have this mess that uh, we pulled out and created and then making it even more difficult to keep people safe. It's just really upsetting. So those are just my thoughts for this week. Um, and uh, uh, life is crazy. But Anyway, just an update about where we're at. Oh, and by the way, like Bible study this morning, we have, this wasn't really the, necessarily the topic of the lesson, but we talked about repentance this morning. You know, and, and repentance is um, even, I, I know that there are certain streams in the church that don't think Christians need to repent. Quite frankly, that's straight up demonic. Um, that is the process of sanctification. If we don't acknowledge the wrong things in ourselves, then the Holy Spirit can't help us with that because he won't take anything from us that we're not willing to give. So we do need to practice that. We do need to practice like reflection and saying, okay, is this thing really right? You know, is, is, are my actions, my motivations, um, am I going to be able to lay them at the feet of Jesus, you know, on judgment day? Are the, Are we willing to own those? On judgment day or do we want God to clean up clean us up now so we don't have to deal with it then but anyway that's my thoughts I said I'm not gonna go for an hour today but um something about where we're at with our efforts with our we have a few exciting things happening I think I went back and looked at what I had said how I ended last week's stream and I said I wonder what exciting good things we're gonna have I, I did say good um, there was some excitement I think what I'm asking for now is, hey, can we just have like some good things come without the drama? That would be amazing. So, but before I start that, I just want to um, go back and share like who has been helping so far. And um, I could, as I've been saying from the very beginning, my friends um, that I know from an Unexpected Journal and the Apologetics Program were some of the first people that were helping and donating and people from my um my Bible study at church, uh, unofficially, because none of us are official. We're just, um, you know, doing what we can where we can. And some people from my um, school district that, um, you know, looking out for other people as well. Uh, my friend Leslie, who um, has been helping with some um, plan some events for them to have a little bit of brightness while we're in the middle of this uh kind of overwhelming journey and then um, people from the nest on, in Kingwood on North Park have um, been supporting from the beginning and also um, for 
a fundraising effort on my business with Legacy Marketing. Um, for any clients that want to contribute to this, I am matching up to twenty percent of the um, up to twenty percent of the services doing a matching donation. So there's that. Um, as far as um, other people involved, um, Mark Ritchie is uh, the person that got me involved in this, and this is basically his uh, ministry and outreach. Um, and his website is March, markritchie.me, and uh, he has written a number of books, and I have reviews on quite a few of them. And uh, I usually, I've mentioned several of his before, but his um, spiritual autobiography, God in the Pits, is, if you read that, you, you can get a little bit of an idea of how he got involved and why helping um, the Afghan people is so close to his heart. And then the um, other person, other key person, is Don Shire of Don Shire Ministries, and he's partnered with um, Mark and I to, um, with his ministry. So any donations to Don Shire Ministries, if you select Raise to Walk, will go towards our effort in helping the Afghan Christians. So I wanted to say that towards the beginning rather than waiting for it all the way at the end. But where we're at. Uh, good, exciting things. Uh, one of our um, families, uh, a lady is going to, we're going to have a new baby tomorrow. Uh, there's a baby that's going to be delivered by C-section. Uh, so they're 10 hours ahead of us. So before too long, so if you keep her in your prayers, um, she has uh, had gestational diabetes. And so the baby was uh, measuring a little bit larger than they, oops, let me take this off, uh, than they thought uh, it should be, be at this point. And so they're just going ahead and taking, uh, going to deliver the baby by C-section now. So keep her in your prayers. And then Another exciting news is um, the head of our house, one of our house churches, um, his wife was called for her UNHCR interview. I've explained this whole process before. Um, they have to, to get a refugee designation from the UN, they have to go through this whole long process. They have to register with SHARP, which is a Pakistan agency that intakes information for the UN. Uh, UNHCR. Then they have a pre-screening interview, and for a lot of our people, they've never gotten. Some of them have never even gotten a pre-screening interview. Um, at the pre-screening interview, they get a case number, and then after that, they have to wait. And um, so, this lady was uh, had her pre-screening interview back in September of 2021, and she's just now being called. So keep her in your prayers. I am really, really hoping that they just give her a card. We have one person in our group that that happened for, where he went in for that first individual uh, UN interview, and they just gave it to him right then. But everybody else, you know, they've, they've been in for interviews, and it's like this, like I explained, it's this whole long process. So... Um, part of the reason that we want that is so that we don't have to worry about them being deported from Pakistan uh, because they don't have valid visas. We have a few people in our group that whose visas have been so far expired that um, 
I, I, I don't think they can, I, I think they'd be banned from getting um, a visa regardless. And um, so anyway, so that's what we're hoping for. Besides that, it really, uh, there's a lot of um, other benefits for refugees. Um, they, the scholarships, uh, that is required for some, well, actually for a lot of uh, countries' immigration uh, processes, they have to have that designation. It's required for some of the U.S.'s um, immigration paths, except for the one that was just launched in um, January through Welcome Corps. That's why I think this is like such an amazing opportunity is that we can bypass getting that UN designation if we can find sponsor groups for our people or not if when when we find sponsor groups for our people so um, I've talked about this several times welcome core is an opportunity for people to make a difference in the lives of um, a, an immigrant family they can uh, the sponsor groups are a minimum of five people or um, it can be organizations and they right now they can sponsor um, uh, somebody who's already been approved and taken into the user app program the refugee program but in a few months they're going to um, expand that in phase two and sponsor groups will be able to select a refugee family to sponsor so that is um, exactly what we need. So I just need to find sponsor groups for my people. So if you're interested in that, let me know. But um, they are part of, let me go over this whole process again. So this is our refugee vetting process. And this, in stage one, Welcome Corps basically takes the place of that UNHCR referral. And so they get into this system, go through all this whole long vetting process. And then once they get to the U.S., there is a local resettlement agency that um, helps with placement for that, um, it's, you know, 30 to 90 days. And that is what the welcome groups do. Normally, those local resettlement agencies find people to... Um, help the family get acclimated but what welcome core does it gets that end point the the people who are helping the welcoming you know citizens it gets that in place first and gets the end in place to um, get them into the front end so that's that's what we're working on so um we are yeah that's what we're doing. We have, we've had a, a couple of um, medical emergencies come up. Not emergencies. I mean, they've been going on for a while. It's just, it wasn't, it didn't happen suddenly. It's just, it's gotten to a point where it, it, there's some health issues that can't, uh, can't be, uh, treatment can't be delayed anymore. So we have, we're working on that. The other exciting, excitement this week. Um, so we have two house churches that I meet with and, um, second one, they are, 
um, I got a message from the head of the house church that they were being evicted from their apartment because the owner of the the building found out that they had you know people meeting their home and doing worship services and um, so he considered the rent from them haram because it's like unclean money because you know it's the uh, they're using it for you know Christian worship so he said yeah they told me this is sent him he sent me this on Monday he said yeah I have to be out by the 15th and he said I can't do they wanted him out by the 15th they didn't give him they had like a contract so they're breaking the contract and didn't give him even they were just gonna say you know get out and he uh, said well I can't do that so they gave him until the 20th like oh my gosh and so anyway he was going around looking he's asking for money and I'm like dude I I don't I don't have like this is why I've, I've been talking to Charlotte about this my friend Charlotte it's almost like I thought I was just teaching a Bible study it's almost gotten to a point where like I'm running like a humanitarian organization just me and no funding or uncertain funding I don't so we had a we had a meeting yesterday and I said, um, I just want to kind of clarify expectations. And I told them, you know, I was going to have to put a limit, you know, I'm committed to helping them. I'm going to have to put a limit on my time because when I first started getting involved in this, I was thinking, um, I was just, Mark had some health issues. So I was, you know, I thought it was like just basically, it was, it was indefinite. I didn't really have, I wasn't really asked for a specific amount of time, but I was thinking in my head it was going to be like maybe towards the end of the year. And I knew we had this big time crunch for December 31st to get, you know, things resolved with visas and all of that. And so that was just kind of like a full court press trying to get that done. And so, but it's still, I mean, there's still issues, right? So, um, I have to learn how to like integrate this with life and funny thing <laughs> I started rereading I read the book boundaries like multiple times I started rereading it I was telling Charlotte it almost feels like a different book I mean I have read it before but I'm not remembering some of this stuff and um, then she had a one of her uh, virtual events yesterday and it was called equipped to thrive I don't know what I was expecting it was not what it was um, it was like all about boundaries. I told her it felt like she basically put that entire event together for me. So it was a good reminder. You can set boundaries, but you have to continue, continue to hold them. So I have, I just wanted to, I, it's not like I haven't said this to them before, like explain kind of the situation to them before I have, but we've had more people come in and I guess I just need to continue to clarify it. But, um, I feel better about it. Because uh, I put a limit on like the amount of time that I'm going to be spending on this, and um, so and I also realized that even if I could afford to do this, you know, spend full time on this, which I can't, um, it's still more than I can do myself. So I just need to uh, find more people that are willing to help out with certain things, and. Um, so that's what I'm working on. Um, 
Oh, and the other thing is, this is kind of, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I explained last, last week about the guy that uh, came from Brazil up to the U.S., and I thought for a little bit he might be caught up in, got caught up by human traffickers. I actually, I don't know if I said this, but I actually called the FBI trafficking line about the whole situation because I had an address. I'm like, can you go like check on him? And they said, we can't check on him unless if he actually tells you <laughs> he's being held against as well. So anyway, um, there's this, this really like belief that they can, even when I was, he contacted me when he was in Mexico, after he crossed the border into Mexico. And I, I had said a couple of times to him, you, you need to talk to an attorney before you, you know, present yourself for asylum. And, um, you know, it's, and I've, I've told the other people in our group that that's not a good immigration path because you, I mean, even at the moment, seeking asylum for them is still theoretically an option at the border. Is you have to be standing on U.S. soil to be able to claim asylum. Texas has been pretty notorious about denying that to begin with. But there is, I mentioned this last week, there is a proposed change to um, the asylum procedures that they're basically considering expanding what they've already done for um, those four countries. It's um, Haiti, Nicaragua, Cuba, what's the other one, and Venezuela. They aren't, if they come to the border without applying ahead of time, they're, they're going to be denied. So they're basically denying the right to physically present for asylum to those four countries. There's a proposed change. From what I read it, they're planning on doing that for everybody. So if, just for example, if there were Afghans that went to Brazil thinking that they were going to go up to the U.S. from that, by the time they got there, that door may be closed. Even the guy that uh, came to the U.S., I mean, number one, he's a single guy in his 20s. And so he doesn't have the responsibilities that, you know, someone with a family would have. But even he's like, I, he's hanging out with a friend, but he's like, I don't have a job. I need to learn English. You know, basically he needs some help, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck right now because you can't, they can't get a uh, work permit without, um, he does have, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I did talk to him. I didn't talk to him. He left me a voice note on WhatsApp and he said that they did go into a nonprofit this week, took all his documents. They told him he had to wait, but his friend was supposed to leave me a message and let me know exactly what that meant. So I don't know where he's at right now. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if when he had that credible threat hearing that there was already application for asylum. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. And so he, I do know he has like some sort of appointment scheduled for April 11th in New York. I don't know, I don't know what's going on, but he's, he's kind of in limbo. He's kind of stuck cause he has no status. I mean, he's, he's not going to be deported now because he has that parole, but he doesn't, 
he can't like participate in society really. And so that's basically the option right now, like coming from Brazil. And I was talking to somebody else about it. And he's like, well, you know, I've talked to Afghans that have done that. And basically the, the options are, it's better than that, that that's like being stuck in limbo in the U S for some people is better than being killed by the Taliban in Afghanistan or being held in prison in Pakistan. But the, you know, what I've had, have explained to our people multiple times that we have to work to, we have to work the options that are there, you know, and that if they want to move to Brazil to live in Brazil, then that's one thing. And we can help them with that because that's an open door. Like they can go whenever, but going to Brazil to go to the U S is not a good option. So there was one family that, um, said that they want to move to Brazil and live there. So that is, um, that is a plan or a project that we're working on right now. And so it's kind of a multi-step thing because they have two children that don't have passports. They also don't have the birth certificates, but we know how to do all that. I have contacts for those things. So I'm kind of excited about that. So that's what we're starting on. And, um, Hopefully, um, I don't know if you, if you know somebody that uh, is good at getting flights and wants to be a flight coordinator. Let me know because I'm want to start um, needing to do that, getting flights coordinated for people to fly out. So, oh, and this is just a side note. So the um, just in case you ever need this information for migration to the U.S. If they get a visa to the U.S. and they don't have funds to pay for the flights, they can get a loan um, for those for the airfare to get here that they have to pay back. Um, I the the Welcome Corps group there is like an amount that has to be fundraised to for the families. That's like two thousand three hundred seventy five dollars per person in the family unit, and that just like helps them get established before the, um, the user app, you know, they they get support for a year and then they, they can apply for a green card, but, um, they also get a work permit it's through welcome course as they get here. So, but as far as flights, that's just either somebody has to cover it for them or they have to take a loan. So, but there's an option there for Brazil. They just have to, they just have to have their own funds. So anyway, that's one of the things that we're going to have to do. And I have to, research other countries to see what those options are. But anyway, um, I, we had, when I had that meeting with them on Friday, someone else said, well, I have, uh, visas for Brazil already. Should we go? And I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't make that decision for them. I mean, that's their life. Um, they do have like a P2 application in through the U S nothing really has been done <laughs> about that. Um, and just sitting there cause those are those process, those, uh, applications are stalled, but this is, I mean, this is a thing. Uh, would it be better for them here in the U S? I don't know. I don't know if it is. It would be honestly, I would like to think it would be, but I don't know. I've mentioned this before. I think I said last week that the U S as far as quality of life was between 17 and 20. 
um, according to U.S. News and World Reports, we are actually at 21 in quality of life um, among you know the countries of the world. Brazil is number 47. So, objectively speaking, we are supposed we are still have a better quality of life um, than Brazil, but uh, probably not as big of a difference as we would like to think. So, I don't know. That's just some food for thought. Um, I think that, you know, in the U.S., we, we have a lot of issues, and ignoring and denying issues doesn't help solve problems. You know, we have to look at what the, um, what reality is, look at is what reality is acceptable, and if not, we need to um, find out, we need to look at what we can do to change those things, what is causing those problems, um, what is causing the, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of things people complain about, like inflation and uh, rising housing costs and all those, a lot of it's caused by uh, basically corporate, corporate greed. I mean, we have just a few countries like the food prices. We have just a few country, a uh, few companies that own the majority of the food companies in the U.S. Um, there are hedge funds buying up, they have these holding companies that are buying up huge amounts of um, uh, housing, which is driving up, not only driving up the prices for of those houses, but it's also making it, you know, affecting financing for regular people. I mean, there's just a lot of things that um, we, and even like insurance and um, the cost there. I mean, especially in Texas, horrible, horrible uh, zoning laws um, and building standards. And at the end of the day, the people who pay the price for that are the end consumer, the homeowners, because they have to pay like crappy, you know, insulin. Uh, weatherization standards, you know, you're paying through the nose every single, every single month for higher energy costs or, um, foundation here in Houston, foundation repairs. They have, they have slab foundations in the U in Oregon, where I'm from, you couldn't even get a, a, um, a conventional loan on, on a house that had a slab foundation. You'd have to get like FHA or something because it's not, it's common and customary here, but that's just like substandard, considered substandard building in Oregon. I mean, but they do it because it's cheap. I mean, there's so many, when my, we first moved here, when I was married and we had bought a house, my dad came down, he had been in real estate for like 30 years and had built homes and he would just about have a fit over things that they did, like things that he, the way they built the house. I mean, it was just not, it's just so sloppy, uh, just poor workmanship. So, and who pays the price? We do. We do as, you know, the end consumer, we pay it. And so the, the people who are, you know, at the top are collect, you know, getting more money because they're, they're not doing the job properly. 
but we're paying the price for that. And same thing with like development and a lot of the flooding in Harvey had to do with, you know, just really um, not following any sort of reasonable standards. And there was entire neighborhoods that were flooded out because they let developers build in water retention areas. It's just the dumbest thing I could ever possibly even imagine. And then what happens? Oh, well then insurance rates go up because we do stupid things like this and then there's never any change. And so insurance companies aren't gonna con continue paying out the nose for that, those, you know, those consequences of these poor practices. And so the insurance goes up too. So you have the cost of just maintaining poorly built homes plus higher insurance. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, um, it's not the government. I mean, well, it sort of is in that, you know, we elect people that are sold out to the people with money, but you know, at some point we got to take some, realize that this is what's going on and quit being led around by the nose by propaganda makers, you know, that are just uh, causing us to ignore our, our own reality. And uh, just so they can, you know, they're doing their own manipulation for the votes. Oh, and that's the other thing I just realized this week. The whole thing about um, so many Afghans coming to Brazil, or from Brazil, it's actually not so many. It's not so many, relatively speaking. I did read an article last week, I think, that there were like, they knew of like 432 Afghans are coming from Brazil up to um, the U.S., but it had been a dramatic increase from before. But I think part of it is, is because you have everybody going around, like talking about all these open borders. I'm thinking, you have no idea what you're talking about. You just need to shut your mouth. I mean, and but people believe that. Like when I've, so many times when I've been talking about their situation, I've had people tell me, oh, just have them come to their border. They're letting everybody in. No, they're not. That's not how it works. But I think they believe that too. I think, I think Afghans are hearing that same propaganda and thinking, oh, open border. Hey, that's an option. No, it's not. So anyway, seems to look and see what the reality is. Can't fix a problem if you don't know what it is. But anyway, those are my thoughts for this week. Um, what I'm hoping for is some calmness and some goodness and some um, good results. I can, I can do without a little bit of excitement for a while, but um, anyway, I have to say it's been a good week. Oh, this is the other thing. Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna share this last week. Yeah, okay, so I'm glad I remembered this. So last, not Monday, but the week before Monday, we had a meeting and I think I've mentioned before that I I asked them what they wanted to study because um, when I took over for Mark in December, I know he has a plan, a curriculum. I don't know what it is. So, and so he had been teaching, he'd been teaching them the arguments from God, for God from John chapter one. And uh, I basically just was talking about Christmas and kind of, Christmas story, traditions of Christmas, we had a class on Hanukkah, that kind of stuff. So this particular, and then the Friday group we've been, we just do, we work on prayer basically. We do updates about where we're at in this whole thing and then we do prayer. But on the Monday group, I said, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to cover? They said they want to do prayer and um, comparative religions. So uh, a week ago Monday, 
we had, I can't remember what we started on. Oh, I know what it was. It was Romans chapter 12. And it talks about marks of a Christian and like a true Christian life. And so we just read that. I think it's like 9 through 21 and the verses that that's in. So we, we read that. And then I said, okay, well, what is your, what is, what do you see different in this, between this passage and Islam? Because I know, you know, I've studied, I've had classes on Islam and Christianity I took um, in my church. We had a couple of classes. I've uh, read books. I had a class in Islam and Christianity from um, Yubil Qureshi. And so I know, I know some, but I mean, they've lived it. This is, they're in the middle of an Islamic culture. They are um, living the, the, the impact of the differences between Islam and Christianity as Christians in Islamic country and so each of them shared the thing that stood out to them about that and it was I really wish I had recorded it it was so amazing it was so amazing it was so 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 good but one of the big things that they noticed was the that in Christ we are all equal right and that there's no difference between Jew or Greek, slave or free. And um, there's so much partiality in, built in to Islam, you know, that you don't treat others poorly because they're different from you or they're a different faith. And that was one of the things that they stood out. The whole thing about, you know, holding a grudge, going out for revenge, that was the difference between Islam and Christianity there. Also, how they treat women. That wasn't directly um, in that passage, but that was one of the things that one of the people um, people mentioned. But it was so good. It was so good. And then this week, or this on Monday, we were talking about, I can't remember what I was going to be talking about, but I was talking about Passover. And I was saying, I can't remember remember what my original plan was, but what I was going to say was that like when all of those who came out, when the Jews were in Egypt and all of those that came out of, out of Egypt, they were believers, right? And, um, so because they had put their faith in God and they had the blood of the doorpost on the doorpost, right? So they were passed over by the angel of death. So they were all they were all believers when they came out. They were all putting their faith in the deliverance of Yahweh. But they weren't, so they were converts, right? They had this belief, but they weren't really truly disciples because they didn't continue to trust in him. And so that was my, that was where I was going with it. I was going to say, you know, they were, they were basically converts, but they, they were believing in, in him, but they never became disciples because they just had the law, not the spirit. That's where I was going. But they were asking me about Easter. And I thought they meant, you know, a lot of Christians, American Christians don't understand Easter and, you know, that <laughs> Passover, crucifixion, first fruits, 
Easter, a lot of people don't make that, they don't understand that connection. I think that's weird. I can't even remember a time when I didn't know that. So that's always weird to me when people say, Easter's a pagan religion or pagan practice or something. I'm thinking, you never read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, even in the New Testament, it's specifically, you know, you get those Passover connections. So anyway, I thought that's what they meant, but they just meant Easter. Like what is like the, obser the observance of Easter? And uh, one of the other people that was that had zoomed in, he's like, oh, yes, I've researched this. It's called Edie Pock. And it's like, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so we're like going, like, what is Easter? How do we observe it? Why do we observe it? That was the question. And so a lot of them had become Christians, but they were literally just like, you know, a couple families meeting together. So they don't have that experience at all of corporate worship or even... It's just weird. I have to remember that. Like, uh, because it was the same thing about Christmas, right? Because they their, their identification of Christmas was with Santa Claus. That was the public observation. And that's how, you know, that's what they associated with, with Christmas. And they knew it was Jesus' birthday, but like how the observance of it, they observed, they identified it with, with Christmas. So we had, we had a lesson about that too. So anyway, that was, um, that was the lesson this week, and uh, so that is what we're going to be covering in the Monday group is um, we're going to be talking about Easter. So I have a whole series. I'll have to go back and look at my series that I did on Easter. I have five lessons on that and just kind of see how, um, how I want to, like, break that down and integrate it. But that's this week. So anyway, that's an update. That's where we're at, and uh, keep praying for everybody. Think about if you want to um, help some people uh, immigrate. We need some Welcome Corps people. We need uh, some donors and sponsors. And um, I need some uh, help with some things. So I have have a couple people that I think might, in certain areas, we just need some commitments from that. So anyway, so far it's going to be a, it's been, it was a good week. And I'm hoping for a better one next week. Even better even better one. And uh, we're having a baby tomorrow. So anyway, hope you have a great week.